What's going on, everybody? Before we get started with this episode of No Mean Soccer, wanted to get some things uh, to you uh, about this particular episode. Um, we kind of did some different things editing-wise and show format-wise, so we debuted what we're calling uh, Know, Know Your Foe, which is going to be a standalone, eventually a standalone interview segment where we have different reporters, supporters, um, and different people on different beats for different team uh, teams within USL. Um, we'll talk to them about their teams and everything else, so... Uh, eventually this will be standalone episodes, but for this week we wanted to obviously debut it and throw it in uh, with our normally formatted show. Um, we also wanted to thank our partners um, over at the Brickyard Battalion. The Brickyard Battalion is the Indy 11 uh, independent supporter group. Um, one of the cool things that they're doing this year, as they have done in years past, is uh, the BYB Tick website. So you can go to www bybtix.com and if you are interested in purchasing single uh, tickets single game tickets you can do so on that website um, it helps the supporter group uh, but then you also get to sit in the supporter section in Lucas Oil Stadium which is by far the best place to sit in the stadium um, you know you don't have to deal with the ticket master fees it's a little bit cheaper uh, for you. So if you're like me and you value your wallet, uh, it is different, definitely, as I try to say things in English, it's definitely the way to go. So that is bybtick.com. Um, yeah, it's a great website, great source. Uh, if you're interested in single game tickets, because it not only helps the supporters group, but it also will help you. Uh, this week we had Ben Gosshorn on the Soccer Goose on Twitter. Uh, we talked with Ben about a number of things. Uh, Dane Kelly obviously being a main topic given the fact that he was with Indy 11 last year. Uh, we also asked Ben. Ben actually got to try out for the Charlotte Independence team. No, that is not me misspeaking. He actually tried out for the team. So we uh, asked him about his experience with that. Um, we also talked about the IBJ article talking about the fact that Indy 11 is considering going from a 20 seat stadium or 20,000 seat stadium, not a 20 seat stadium, a 20,000 seat stadium down to a 12K stadium with the potential to expand. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, this is the episode for you. As always, you can find me on Twitter uh, at soccer with Brian. You can find Richard on Twitter at tweet by Richard. You can find the show Twitter at no means soccer. Um, if you're interested, which why you aren't, I do not know why, but if you are interested in following Ben, um, we will have his links and information down in the description of this episode, but go follow him on Twitter at the soccer goose. Um, he also has a, uh, Charlotte independence podcast. He's everywhere, man. He's all over the internet. Uh, but uh, if you are interested in following his podcast, he does a Charlotte Independence podcast with him and a friend of his named Alex Warren. Uh, you can follow that Twitter at Talkin, T-A-L-K-I-N, Jax. Uh, and of course, you can find them on your pl podcasting platform. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you guys like this show this week. Uh, we tried some new things, new format and whatnot. Um, we're, we're experimenting in the preseason. That's where you learn about yourself. So... Uh, if you like this episode, you know, even if you don't like the episode, let us know. Uh, tweet to us. Uh, 
drop us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Um, yeah, we'll see you uh, soon. Thanks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Like we said, uh, this is going to be our first uh, first time doing a kind of a different formatted show. Um, of course, as always, my name is Brian Cook. I'm one of the co-hosts of the No Mean Soccer Podcast. This week, with me, as always, Richard Rainwater from the heart of Texas. I can't forget that line. I think he'll sue me if I forget that line. Richard, how it's are in my you? contract. It's in my <laughs> contract, Brian. We had these negotiations. What's going on, everybody? Doing well, not bad. It was a uh, a blistery uh, seventy degrees today, so you know I was bunkering in. I was gonna say right before we started recording, I had to take my dogs outside, and I forgot to put a coat on before I walked out, and I'm Rookie literally mistake. jumping up and down because it's a blustery thirty something here in Indy. So, Rookie mistake, man. Rookie uh, mistake. I was like, oh no, it'll be real quick. And then suddenly my dog that's afraid of the wind decides that he doesn't want to, you know, go to the bathroom right away. So my mistake. Um, we are not alone, Richard, which sounds like a threat and it's not. <laughs> but uh, arguably, uh, possibly one of the biggest signings could have been one of the biggest signings in Carolina professional uh, soccer. Ben Gosshorn's on the horn with us. I'm sure he's never heard that. Ben, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's uh, it's great to be a part of the show. Um, so thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's a, another <clears throat> Saturday without soccer uh, for USL <sighs> soccer, at least. It so makes me sad. Uh, I think I saw on Instagram as of the date of recording, which is February 1st. It's 34 days until the season. Don't quote me on that, but that's what the Instagram story told me on from the USL Championship. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, you know it's it's great to have you. Um, ben is uh, the soccer. It's at the Soccer Goose on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, ben is uh, if I I'm just gonna blow some smoke up your butt, but you know Ben's one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow just because. You have you have interesting tweets that you put out, but you have interesting content that you put out. But in general, you're just such a good ambassador, not only for this league, but everything else. And it's I'm stoked. You could tell I'm probably a little nervous because I've never actually. It's always just Richard and I going back and forth and talking crap <laughs> and not realizing that we're going to have like 10 people listen to us. Um, <laughs> but I'm ex- incredibly excited. Um, to talk to you. One of the first things that I wanted to cross off the list right away, um, like I tease, you got a rare opportunity that not many, uh, uh, you know, fans and supporters get to do. And you actually got to try out for the Charlotte Independence. Can you explain uh, a little bit of the scenario behind that, what you were doing? And then um, if people and w- w- we might ask some follow up questions, but if people want to read more about your experience where you wrote, you actually got to write something up about the experience. Yeah. So thank you for those kind words. I, I do appreciate that. I try to be as positive as I can, even though sometimes I get angry on Twitter, too. Hey, like everybody. All, it's that's 95 <laughs> percent of my tweets. Yeah. But um yeah, as far as the tryout goes, it was 
<clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of context. I had jokingly posted about if I got 1775 retweets, I would do the tryout, knowing full well, unless some catastrophic thing happened, that that wouldn't be attained. Um, so yeah, like a week passed, and a, a newspaper here, uh, or I guess alternate alternative news source uh, here in Charlotte saw the tweet, messaged me on Twitter and was like, hey, so would you go do this tryout and write an article for us? And I was like, oh, crap. This is... And I've been thinking about doing soccer writing a little bit more intently. Uh, so I was like, oh, I kind of have to do this. But like, I don't play a lot of soccer and I'm not physically fit. Um so I thought about it and luckily like all the stars aligned. Of course, like I was able to get off work and I was able to clear it with the team and all these kinds of things. So yeah, I tried out for the Charlotte Independence and it was an experience. Like I I was nervous, um, because kinda like I said in, in, in how I talk about it in the piece um that was done with uh Queen City Nerve or QC Nerve, um I probably should know what website that's on. That would be great. If I knew that. <laughs> we'll we'll grab it when we uh, post the episode. We'll definitely uh, grab the link to that piece too. Because um, <laughs> I told you I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Because the entire experience and the idea is, I mean, we obviously saw a little bit with Tyler Terrens, uh, but you know, Tyler's got yeah. experience actually playing the game, and that's not to slight you at all. But being no, someone that it's... hasn't played. <laughs> You know, really, at any high-end level, whatever that high-end level may be, I'm sure it was, you know, an interesting experience, especially considering that not everybody there was probably clued in that you weren't, not that you weren't taking it serious, but not everybody there was going to go, uh, who's this really long-haired guy that's here? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely an experience. It's, It's the best way I can put it. It was the the thing that i talk about in the piece that kind of um not to um give away the whole meaning of the piece but really it, it kind of expanded my mind in the sense of how communal soccer can be and how much of a community soccer is when you're actually playing the game i mean i i've seen it Dozens, numerous times, maybe hundreds of times. I don't know how many times, like via Twitter and in person when I'm going to away games or when away fans come and hang out with us uh, at games, just how communal the game of soccer is. But it was it was really uh, just a whole different experience being on the pitch and um, really having teammates that were willing and able to uh, tell me to do this or do that or not do this or not do that. Um, because I, I would probably assume it was pretty evident that I hadn't played at a high level, but it was, it was just a really eye opening experience to how, like I said, communal and community, how much of a community is driven around the game of soccer. And even though it was a 50 some odd guys that were thrown into a scenario that they've never played with those guys before, how cohesive it was at the same time. Um, yeah, that that's that basically was my experience. Did it uh, give you kind of a different feel as someone who's obviously watched, you know, hours and hours of the game? Did it kind of almost give you a newfound respect for the players uh, that go out there every week 
because you actually kind of got to experience that firsthand and like a real game feel instead of, you know, just a couple of guys going to a park and kicking the ball back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did. Um, my limited soccer experience has been like a co-ed league that I did for a season, which was a few months or so, and some pickup games here and there. So I've I've experienced it in some regard, but not there wasn't anything on the line, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely did kind of make me appreciate it more in a lot of ways um, in, in that respect because it was it put me not. I don't want to say I put me in the boots of the players, but it, it kind of did. Like I was, I was out there kicking the ball and I had to think about this and think about that. And there was a, a forward that I was defending that was much faster than me. So that was interesting. And I had to just kind of figure it out on the fly. It was, uh, kind of like you said, it, it just kind of made me appreciate it more what the, the players do out there. Yeah. Do you feel like, not that everyone's ever going to really get that experience, but do you almost feel like every supporter at, in some capacity should feel more of a realistic game feel by, I don't even know, like going through a tryout? Or is that such a unique experience that you almost don't want other people to experience it because you're like, you know, I get to now say when I see someone do a sliding tackle that you're like, you know, I got to experience that in a more real format. Do you almost feel like supporters should try and actually do that at least once in their life if they get the opportunity? I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that they should try out for their local team and, and do that kind of thing because I know that takes, um, I don't want to say a certain kind of person, but it, there's a lot of... Uh, Factors that play into being even able to do that in a lot of ways. Um, but I would say for those that may not play soccer, may not have ever really played soccer in any capacity, it's, I recommend getting out there and doing it just because it's, even if you're just kicking the ball around or organizing a small pickup game at a park nearby, it's, it makes you appreciate it that much more. And it also is just, I don't want to say it's an easy way, but it's a, it's a way to, it's a, kind of a simple way to kind of gather people around the game. You know what I mean? It's it's a, a simple way to organize, I guess you could say, and get to know people in, in, in a lot of ways too. Um, yeah, and it just, you just get to appreciate it a little more. No, definitely. Um, and like we said, we'll we'll be sure to grab the link to that piece. Um, and share it when we post this episode. Um, but one of the other reasons that we wanted to get you on here, Ben, and talk about, you know, not only your experience with that, but also the Charlotte Independence in general, is you, like us, follow the team from an analytical perspective. And it was going to be almost disrespectful if not only from our perspective, we ignore the fact that Dane Kelly <laughs> came to Indy 11 last year, but now Dane Kelly will be joining Charlotte independence this year. Can mm. you talk about, um, I, I, I'm already, I'm, I'm starting to be the people I hate in sports interviews that go, can you talk about, but what Come on, Brian? <laughs> as, as on, kind man. of a general perspective, what is the impact of Dane Kelly's arrival in Charlotte? It, it's hard to really quantify it, I think, at this point. I think 
Um, I'm trying to bring down my expectations with it because I tend to be a, an optimist with things like this where it's like, oh, we, we've got the, the all-time leading score in USL history. We've been there. And yeah. <laughs> I should just find some old tweets of y'all's and see how y'all were uh, anticipating it. But yeah, it's just, I think ultimately, and I don't say this to diminish any of the players we've had or by no means am I diminishing Jorge Herrera's wondrous career that he's had. But I think this is really, in a lot of ways, a statement of intent for the independence where um, we've never really had a a forward striker target guy that we've signed and had from the beginning of the year. We've, we've had some in our history uh, going back to like 2015 when we had uh, Tomas Zahorski, um, and a few players here and there. I mean, we had Brian Brown on loan um, for, I want to say, half a season or most of a season, but not from the beginning of the year. Um, and without going too far down a rabbit hole, we've, we've had players here and there. We've even had uh, Eamon Zayed of Indy in 11 fame. I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's been mentioned once or twice. Yeah. But, but and I'll say this. Not to diminish any of those people we've had, but like I said, we've never really had a proven goal scorer that we can really build our offense through. Um, quite frankly, since I want to say like the 2016, 2017 season in a lot of ways. Um, so for me, my, my expectations are, th- I, I don't want to say through the roof because now I'm just, we're going to make the playoffs. Um, and, I think that would obviously be a step in the right direction because we've missed the playoffs for two years in a row now. Um, but really, it just makes me, it makes my mind just be filled with positive thoughts because we're going to have Enzo Martinez and Dane Kelly. And I think a lot of people could look at last year's season with Enzo Martinez and say, well, he uh, he had his stint in MLS, and he came back to the USL, and he didn't prove he he he's he's on the downward trajectory of his career. But ultimately, I think last year he was trying to do a lot of things with little resources or not consistent resources. I'll say because as we've had for a lot of our time. Uh, in Charlotte, we've never really had a target striker that was consistently there. We had Nicky Jackson, but he was on loan from the Rapids. And unfortunately, even though we weren't their affiliate this year, he would be recalled here and there. Um, so he wasn't, I would imagine they won't be able to get the reps they needed to really make that work. Um, and he wasn't there for the full season either. So yeah, I'm just excited about it. Um, like I said, I'm trying to, reel in my expectations because um he is a little bit older um but at the same time i'm I'm just excited that we were able to bring in such a talent as this because quite frankly we and i know this as a supporter and it's probably pretty apparent from the outside looking in but we're not necessarily one of those upper tier teams so it's encouraging from a fan perspective to see this type of move happen yeah and Speaking of consistency, I, I think maybe the move to a different team is going to be good for Kelly. Mm. Uh, when he was on, he's on. And yep. 
you know, I got a feeling that Charlotte's much more likely to build their offense around him than mm-hmm. maybe what we were doing at Indy. I think Pasher's ascendance really kind of put the death nail in, in any hope that Kelly had in having a, a system built to his strengths. So if Kelly gets off, let's say, to a bad start or slow start, mm. do you feel like Charlotte has the pieces that they can help support him until he can get back to his scoring ways? I think that's a really good question. I mean, unfortunately for us, we've got 12 players on the roster, um, technically speaking, <laughs> or signed, I should say. Well, that's a team. Yeah, we can technically <laughs> feel the team. Um, and we do have a goalkeeper, too, so that's the important thing. Um, I, I think what I'll say is I think the roster can be – is in, I don't want to say it's in a way built to accentuate Kelly's uh, ability, but I think he does have a lot of playmakers around him. Um, of course, Enzo is going to be a goal scorer as well, but he's got a lot of players – um, that will want to give him the ball. And I think, quite frankly, the way Mike Jeffries tends to play, I mean, I, I don't want to assume that he's going to be playing the traditional 4-2-3-1 that he's played for the entirety of his coaching career here. But um, unless he deviates away from that, we're very striker-dependent in a lot of ways, where we... For better or worse, we, which this may be a, a place where we'll uh, live and die by uh, Kelly's game, but I think ultimately when our strikers and attackers are doing really well, we excel. And we've, I don't, I don't want to say we've, it's because it's been two years, but the independents have proved and, and Mike Jeffrey's system has proven to be effective um, in years past. Um, it's just a matter of – I think we do need a couple more pieces, I will say, though. I mean, we do – I would think we need somebody behind Kelly so that when maybe he's not having the best game or maybe he's – we've got an Open Cup game in the midweek or whatever it may be, we need someone to kind of push him and be that secondary option um, that we unfortunately don't have because uh, right now the backup to Kelly, I would assume, is Enzo, um, which – as great of an attacker as he is, and as big of a beard has, as he has, he's, <laughs> I think, 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, um, and maybe in years past that uh, just putting him forward and attacking um, attacking defenses worked. I, I don't know that necessarily will work um, at this level of USL quality. And I would think, too, that they would want Enzo and Kelly on the same field at the same time. So yeah. it's a little difficult to have your main striker backup also be playing another role as their primary function. Mm. Um, that tends to complicate rest and rotation and other things. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with Dane Kelly, I almost said Dane like I knew him by first name basis. I don't. Buddy. Uh, but the thing with Dane Kelly here was he, he didn't have a system built around him in my opinion mm-hmm. at least you know i i very much feel like um and i think we've we've had shows where we've said this um but you know dane and um both dane and thomas intervolson when they were both here 
uh, it very much felt like Rennie said, uh, I'm going to build a great, you know, system for a midfield, a great system for a defense, and then, mm. uh, let's get really two really big goal scorers and just put them up top and they'll figure it out. Yeah, it'll be fine. No, yeah. like, uh, oh, they need people to pass them the ball? Yeah, nah, they'll still figure it out. And I, I do feel like that's, uh, so, uh, I, I think that's what happened in Indy, and I was actually looking forward to this season because I feel like Indy has put more capital behind playmakers and passers and stuff like that. So I, I do feel like if Charlotte, and I feel like Charlotte's more willing to do that for, you know, a Dane Kelly and stuff like that, if, if they put the capital and the money and the resources behind a system that doesn't necessarily just feed directly to Dane Kelly, but that basically says, we understand that you're probably our top goal scorer. We're actually going to work on, you know, getting you the ball proper. Yeah. And it almost felt like Thomas and Dane came here a year early. You know, the first season was kind of thrown together. It was, Hey, you're part of this league now. Uh, training camp is in five days. So <laughs> scrambling to figure out, you know, the remnants of the NASL collapse Year two was kind of implementing the system, which is very USL Mourinho-ish, uh, defense first, control possession, um, hit on the counter, you know, really you score as many goals as you need to win, and that's about it. So I have a feeling kind of what you said, right? Had they come a year later, there would have been a much bigger uh, push towards integrating them into the system or adjusting the system to the talent that they had um, just didn't really feel like a priority. And, and it's a shame because Dane Kelly in particular is extremely talented. Uh, and I think he's going to do well in Charlotte. Uh, if for no other reason, then they don't have too many other options other than to build the team around. Oh, I mean, well, and that's the main thing with Dane Kelly, and I had multiple people when, uh, in, in the peak times that I was frustrated with his quality of play, um, he's never been, you know, a painfully consistent, um, offensive tool. Um, that's, and that's not to knock him as a whole, and that's not to go against the grain of the fact that he's, while he's not been the most consistent offensive tool, um, he obviously is the league's all-time goal scorer, but I also feel like that title as a whole haunts him in the long run. Um, do you feel like, Ben, does Dane Kelly's arrival alone, I, I doubt his arrival alone does it, but do you think that Kelly is the type of player and his signing has an impact on teammates and everything else, that he has the potential to push Charlotte back into the playoff race, even if it's in, you know, a lower half of the playoffs as a whole. I think in a lot of ways, Dane Kelly will, at least from my perspective, be a, a catalyst to, if all things go well, push us in that direction to at least be more competitive towards the playoff line. Um, in my head, I think it's, you look at the pieces we have and there's definitely some things to be desired in some positions that we currently uh, have filled um, as far as the talent level goes. But I think, I don't know. It, it'll be very curious to see how the season goes. And, I, and I'm excited. 
I'm more optimistic than I probably would have been last year at this time um, with Dane Kelly coming to town. And I think, too, when you see a team like Birmingham make the playoffs last season, I mean, they were famously, yeah. I think it was a negative 16 goal differential or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, the bottom end tends to be a lot more wide open. And while I mean, he may not fire the team to a championship run or, you know, USL Shield or anything like that, it, it's a very real possibility that those additional goals and that threat opening up opportunities for players that maybe have been suppressed uh, over the past couple seasons mm-hmm. will be enough to get what is a a somewhat talented group uh, over the line and into the playoffs. Mm. So I'd now, be putting, remiss. Um, oh, sorry if I was just talking over you, Richard. Um, I'd be remiss if I if I didn't ask this type of question because, of course, I'm very conspiracy theory heavy in some regards. And uh, one of the things I had in my head when I first saw the Dane Kelly news was I, I didn't know. And Ben, I'd love to hear your opinion. But do you feel like the Dane Kelly signing? had anything to do with obviously MLS looming in Charlotte's, uh, you know, rearview mirror, you know, uh, windshield, wherever the analogy is. Do you think that Dane Kelly signing is to kind of boost and illuminate the light on Charlotte independence as a whole, given the fact that obviously interest in soccer has exploded in Charlotte? I, I think there's a, potential of that yeah i mean my initial thought um after kind of processing the whole thing and and maybe wondering um why dane kelly make would would have decided to come to charlotte above any other destination um i I don't know that i not to say that your opinion is invalid or anything like that it's a great idea but i think it may lean more towards the idea that dane kelly came here because he may view this as a um a showcase for him to uh, show his talents to uh, both MLS Charlotte uh, and MLS in general. Uh, I, I don't know. I have no factual reason to think that it is because there are no connections between the two franchises. Um, but I mean, I guess logic would tell me if Dane Kelly, it starts uh starts the season really well and the scouts for MLS Charlotte are like, huh, uh, he's doing pretty good and he's been a good scorer for a number of years. Um, Maybe we should send one of our scouts down there. Um, So yeah, I think there, it it does make you wonder uh, what the motivation behind the move was. Um, Yeah, you never know. No, I mean, that's, I, I, you know what? And I'm, I'm just more, I'm more critical of signings because I do look at it from that perspective because I do think some teams, it's advantageous for some teams when they're signing a player to not only look at what they can do on the field, but in some cases, ticket sale wise. And obviously, Dane Kelly, even if he doesn't statistically have the same backing that he did, you know, uh, even two or three years ago, um, a guy like Dane Kelly brings eyeballs. And I, I and I honestly feel like, and I might have just not been as in tune with it at the time, but I do feel like the hype behind him arriving in Charlotte 
uh, almost feels like it was, it's bigger than the hype there was around uh, his arrival in Indy last year. So it's okay. it, it was a very, you know, uh, uh, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theory idea I had in my head. But I do I do like the idea that he came down there to get MLS eyeballs on him again. And I, I think that is a real possibility, too. And I think there's a real possibility that the guy's just a great player and he's a great attacker, and Charlotte had a good need. So, um, yeah. but you know what? There, there are crazier things. Uh, <laughs> Richard? Yes? I think you have a game you would like to play with us. Oh, it's not just any game, Brian. It's my new favorite game, Over Under. Get excited. <laughs> so for those of you that did not hear uh, my interview with Andrew Detmeyer, first and foremost, what are you doing? All right. Go back to your favorite podcasting app. Listen to it. Put it in your ears. All right. You're going to want to hear it. But Over Under is essentially a game where we try to guess. So every answer is going to be a number different questions surrounding this upcoming USL season. So if you're not familiar with over-under bets, they generally generate a number. We have to guess whether they're above that number, under that number, what it's going to be. So are you guys ready to play? Let's do it. What he said. Brian, you sound terrified. What he said! If that's (laughs) the case, then you're in the right mindset. Let's go. First question. How many dollar beer nights will it take for Phoenix to finally fulfill their potential? Mm. It's it's going to be mainly how many dollar beer nights will it take uh, before USL memes starts making more jokes about people throwing beers. Um, I'm going to go with seven because seven is always the answer. <laughs> Um, do I get to answer these too, right? Just to oh, absolutely. Okay, okay good. Because <laughs> I thought about this answer, and <laughs> it's really silly, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, I'm going to say they're going to go with 18, which means if I'm not mistaken, there's 17 home games, right? Yes. Okay, good. I, before I completed this thought, I wanted to confirm that. So they will do a dollar beer night for every home game, and they will also do a dollar beer night. At a New Mexico home game as well. Ooh, <laughs> they will drink hey. beer. They will sell dollar beers under the table. Dollar beer roadie. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. So my bet is zero because nothing will allow them to fulfill their potential. All right. <laughs> on to question two. <laughs> How many games will Inter Miami play before renaming to Fort Lauderdale CF2? In my never ending quest to never be invited to the state of Florida. So we're talking the Inter Miami and MLS? Or are we talking yes. the. Uh, um, well, and I was going to say, yeah, we've got to figure out what city you'd actually be forbidden from because depending on the circumstances you might be banned from multiple st- cities in Florida. That's the goal. Uh, <laughs> uh, how many games? Well, I'm going to let Ben answer first because I'm trying to think <laughs> of a creative number because he, he blew me out of the water with his answer. Oh man, I didn't, I didn't think this one too, through too much. Um, 
I'm going to say... I'm going to say, let's say this. I, I'll say they'll they'll have five home games. And on the fifth home game, they will realize, the fans, I'll say, the fans will burn down the stadium they're currently in, wherever that may be. And they will have to relocate again to another suburb of Miami. And they will have to change their name to a completely different thing. I know I just completely changed the whole meaning of the question, but yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> okay, I got this. Seven, but uh, they won't rename to anything with Fort Lauderdale. They will rename to Austin FC. Interesting. Ooh. The old pre-court move. That's hmm. what I'm here for, is to uh, channel my inner Anthony pre-court. Oh, that hurts me. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with 100. Well, actually, I'll go with 99. And on the 100th game, they will quietly announce that the team has renamed themselves to to uh, Fort Lauderdale CF2 uh, after their USL League One affiliate due to the fact that they can't seem to ever get a stadium deal done in the city of Miami. <laughs> How much will our bribe to Mike Watts need to be to make Carolina Reaper Kelly's new nickname? <laughs> I'm all behind starting a, a petition and getting just getting like a hundred people to sign off on this and sending it to Mike Watts because this needs to happen. <laughs> yes. Um. How much will our bribe? See, Ben's challenged me because now I'm trying to come up. Like you guys have challenged me. I'm trying to come up with actually like creative answers. <laughs> Um, I just want to say seven again because that's all that keeps coming into my head. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Seven, seven dollars, seven cents. Uh, just seven. Seven pennies. Yep. Seven, uh, seven Carolina Reapers. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Whatever that is entailing, I don't know. <laughs> but don't warn him so he touches it with his hands. <laughs> Come on, Ben. I know you got a good answer. Um, I, I'm going to say $77. A dollar for every... Interesting. Zero because Mike is an upstanding citizen and would never accept a bribe, but he'll do it if we ask nice. <laughs> that was an angle that I should have gone with. That, that was a good one. <laughs> Next question. How many different versions of football should the independents attempt to play during 2020? Ooh. I'm going to say one. We're going to play one version of football, and it's going to be Mike Jeffries football. Good answer from a hopeful candidate for the roster. <laughs> I don't know. Something about, you know, independence in 1776 sounds like a better number. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with, and that still has seven, so I'm still crossing that off my board. <laughs> I'm going to go with two. 
And that if the the old international football doesn't work out, I heard Canadian football is gaining in popularity. And <laughs> worst case scenario, you tackle the opponents with the ball. Yeah, that could work now too. Now to the final question, my favorite question. Uh, when expansion ends, how many words will be in the longest club name? So some examples. Uh, Colorado Springs Switchbacks Football Club has five words. Memphis 901 Football Club has six. Rio Grande Valley Football Club Toros also has six. So once the USL stops accepting teams in the championship, what will be the longest club name? Well, that depends, because I could totally see a situation realistically where down the line an Inter-Miami reserve team comes into the championship, and if they're the Fort Lauderdale... Is the logo that they have, is that a pelican, or is that supposed to be a flamingo? There's too many birds in USL. I think it's I, supposed to be a crane, from what I've been told. Is that but supposed that to be a crane? Yeah, I was I looking so. at it, and I was like, look, if they want to do gimmick infringement on forward Madison, I'm going to love to watch that fight. Um, I'm going to go with seven. Seven words. I can't tell you what that team name probably is going to be, but if it's not you know, close to uh, FC United of Manchester-esque style, I'm going to be really disappointed. See, I feel like the longest club name is going to be the Rio Grande Valley Football Club Toros Houston Dynamo 2. Nice. Which is a distinct possibility. See, see, I thought about this way too much. Um, I'm going to go with seven. And it's going to be Outer Alaska Sporting Ice Yetis Soccer Club. Yes, seven. See, I like the addition of the soccer club there. That really screams U.S. of A. <laughs> it does, yeah. I clearly need more experience with over-under bets. Well, just you wait, because next time we have a guest, we will be playing my new favorite game, Over-Under. Or at least when I want to be uninvited from a road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we let you go, Ben, uh, can you tell people uh, where they can find you uh, anywhere and everywhere on the internet? Uh, Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, at the Soccer Goose. Um, I tweet a lot of soccer things, surprisingly. Um, Not a lot of goose things, which is... I probably should. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like Seinfeld as well. So if you, if you like that, then we may be able to connect with that. Um, and yeah, I try to be as positive as I can be and share good things or things that I find good, which may not be good to other people. I don't know. It's, that's like my opinion, being man. Modest. <laughs> um, you know, thank you for joining us on this podcast, Ben. We really appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, yeah, we appreciate your time playing our game with us, answering questions about your time as a budding professional, uh, soccer player. Um, I really was looking forward to that partnership of Dane Kelly and you up top, but, uh, you know what? I'm just going to have to live through my football manager save and see if I can make that happen. There you go. Yeah. 
my uh, football career will live on in a, a football manager, hopefully, which is uh, more realistic than my uh, actual real soccer skills. Um, As is the dream so yeah. for all professional footballers. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for uh, having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. And we're back. Uh, you know, we were very thankful to have Ben on here, um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, potentially, we're looking at potentially having, like, standalone episodes of Know Your Foe, uh, but we wanted this first one to kind of be a smorgasbord of uh, No Means Soccer and Know Your Foe. So, um, Richard, we do have some news. We don't have a lot coming out of the first week of the preseason for the team. Um, though everything kind of looks like it's pointed upward, but one of the new things that came out in the shadows of Nashville's stadium woes um, that they're going on in terms of their MLS status and everything else, um, the Indiana Business Journal recently published a published. You can tell I can't speak, don't know how to talk. Um, published an article. Um, it's Mr. Mickey Shuey, who's actually wrote uh, quite a bit of stuff recently about the business side of Indy 11. But the uh, uh, IBJ recently published an article this week um, basically saying that Indy 11, uh, since we haven't really seen a lot of public news get released, Indy 11 are actually considering going to a smaller stadium, Richard. So the first thing we'll hit is the fact that uh, according to... Uh, IBJ, the shift would be from the original 20,000-seat stadium to a more modest 12-seat stadium. Um, just uh, getting us started off here, Richard, do you think that's a good idea? I mean, absolutely. And I've said it a million times before, build for what you have. Build for the league that you know you're going to be in. And as we've seen, especially over this offseason, the team's MLS chances are getting fewer and fewer by the day. You know, I, I think at some point Indy might be able to make it in. But with the current way that MLS is doing their expansion bids, I just don't see it. And so it doesn't make sense to build an MLS stadium when MLS doesn't really seem to be interested in having you in their league. Um, and it's mentioned in the article, too. There's teams in Cincinnati and Columbus and Chicago, and there's a bid for Detroit that they seem to like more than Indies. So the Midwest is pretty full at the moment. It doesn't make a lot of sense geographically for them to look at Indy 11 as something that they absolutely have to have. Um, St. Louis is coming in in a few years, so... For the team to, I think, finally be realistic and say, okay, if we can't have what we want, we're going to build for what we have and, and make the team stronger that way, it's a smart move. And hopefully this will help get the momentum going where they can finally get the stadium deal over the line. 
No, I definitely agree with you. And it's not even what I'm about to say is not even a slight against the team, but it's almost a sign of maturity, I guess you can say, um, in this situation. Um, what I, I will say is the, the, the nod towards lowering down from a 20,000 seat to a 12 seat, um, especially in the shadow of what's going on in Nashville and the fact that basically Major League Soccer is, uh, you know, and we'll not get into that. There are much smarter people. You can go check out the Speedway Soccer guys. Much smarter, more, more in touch people with that story. But, you know, one of the things that came out of this entire deal was the fact that originally for the bill itself, um, the requirement was that the team was going to have to be a, a member of Major League Soccer before they could even begin discussions of planning for the stadium. And I think, uh, like you said, you know, build for what you have. Don't put in all that, you know, time and effort into something that you, you don't really know what you're going to get. And I, I think seeing how MLS operates as a whole, this should be not only something for the team, but also something for state and local uh, officials to really look at the fact that not having to tie this thing to a major league soccer status will end up helping you considerably in the long run because um, you don't have to play politics with a sports league by any means uh, just because this is obviously going to be something much more fluid. I, I've written and, and been very public about the fact that I didn't think a 20,000 seat stadium made sense at all. Um, you know, it would if they were, if not only if the team was a major league soccer team, but generally speaking, attendance as a whole for the sport of soccer was dramatically different. <coughs> Excuse me. Dramatically different. Um, across the entire landscape, a 20,000 seat stadium just didn't make sense. And I think not only did it not make sense logistically, I think from a sales perspective when selling it to the public and especially selling it to a public that is drained of tax incentive based things to millionaires, um, it was going to be even harder to sell. Um, and you know what? It's not that people have the ill will or the negative feeling, but uh, you know, give kudos to Louisville city and their ownership group and that entire stadium that they've built, you know, that thing has gone off without any issues. They've, you know, done some great work down there. It looks fantastic. Yeah. I think for the status, and the venue that it is. And I think there are, they're still not, not that they're caring about it or it's the incentive, the only incentive they had, but Louisville, uh, now has, you know, MLS whispers around them for the fact that they've built a sustainable, um, you know, soccer stadium on their own. Um, so I, I, I think the, the movement from 20,000 seats down to a 12,000 seats with the potential to expand past 12,000 just makes so much more sense in the long run, because not only is it going to be easier to sell for your naysayers that are wondering why a second division team or, and probably a lot more people's case, what they would call a minor league soccer team really needs 20,000 seats when, you know, they're, and that's again, not to knock them, but, you know, there's no sustainable proof 
because I really do feel like with how attendance goes, when you consider a 20,000 seat and they bring in, you know, 10,500 or 11,000 per game, that's going to look, it's not going to be as dwarf-like playing in Lucas Oil Stadium, but, you know, 11,000 people in a 20,000 seat stadium is still going to look ridiculous in the long run. Yeah, we see that with certain MLS stadiums, you know, teams there that bring in twelve to 15,000, but they have 20,000 seat, 15 or 25,000 seat stadiums. And so they look half empty and, and it's just a bad look, you know. Um, but even on a less than optics standpoint, I, I think it's smart from a marketing perspective because once you have that stadium, uh, you can drive more interest in the team. And, and we saw it in Portland where they started off with a certain number of seats in the stadium and they have a huge waiting list on their season tickets. Every single seat is sold out. It's a great atmosphere. And then over the years, they've been slowly adding more and more capacity as demand and sustained demand uh, requires it. And, and that's a path that I think Indy and even Louisville can take, where get the stadium, get a location, stop jumping from place to place to place every year, and then once you build that following and you really get sustained, then you can start increasing the number of seats as demand calls for it. And, you know, 20,000 seats, part of the justification was that you could bring in other events, you could bring in international soccer friendlies, you could bring in, um, you know, the national team, both men's and women's. But I think a, a good thing that we can look at is, what they've done at North Carolina, um, the former Railhawks, where they built a stadium in Cary, and they've been able to attract the women's national team. They've been able to attract the men's national team. Even the Women's International Champions Cup uh, played at Cary. So for Indy, having their own stadium in their own space, even if it's 12,000, 15,000, you're still going to be able to attract those events. You may not be able to get a World Cup game at 11 Park if it's scaled down, but you're still going to bring in things that drive interest to in the game, and that's really what the team should be focused on. Build interest in the game, build interest in the team, get your foundation right, and then you'd be surprised what doors, whether they be MLS or something else, really open up for you. Um, some of the other stuff in that article, we'll grab it too, along with the stuff from, uh, involving our discussion with Ben. Uh, but one of the other parts of that article that we wanted to touch on is the fact that basically, it seems, Richard, every known spot that has been discussed as a pot uh, potential, uh, location, uh, is basically been ruled, uh, not a potential location anymore. Um, so, a lot of that is the GM stamping plant where the city and a independent developer are now in a legal battle. That's basically been ruled out. Um, I'm trying to look, because uh, I just had this, and I thought I wrote it down, but I hadn't. But basically, a majority outside of the... Uh, the well, there was the stamping plant, the Broad Ripple High School. Apparently, yes. they haven't been talking to... IPS. Um, there was an initial statement of interest. Uh, it seems like now just mostly to gauge public reaction, but there hasn't been any conversation there. 
Um, there's been talks of other sites, but yeah, basically there just hasn't been anything positive when it comes to a location. They keep saying that they've narrowed it down to three, but it's starting to run out of places. Um, yeah, I think the only spot, and we were talking about this before we started recording um, this bit, but I think the only spot that really hasn't been completely ruled out is probably the Lafayette Square Mall area, which I think for a lot of fans, that would not be the most advantageous spot. I think the location of the stadium being as close to uh, the the geographic downtown um, close to Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, you know, the field house and stuff like that, it would be better, be better for the team, but it would also be better for the actual location for more of everybody. But that is, seems to be still a location, um, that is on the table. Um, but along, and like I said, we'll grab this, uh, this article, um, but we wanted to cover a little bit of it because it is not to knock. Obviously, IBJ needs to make money, but obviously, in some regards, this is behind a paywall for some people. Um, so, but one of the other things that ta- it talks about in this is actually some of the requirements that the city's asking from the team, which is the first time we've really seen anything put out publicly about uh, some of the requirements. Um, but the top requirement, which a lot of these requirements are really going to show us what the team sees its future. So the top requirement the city is asking from the team is a timeline for when play will begin in the venue and whether the team will be a part of the USL championship or MLS. Um, and then obviously when you get, and I, I think there was, I think I saw on Reddit or something like that. Somebody was asking about why they just don't, you know, pay for everything privately, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's a lot of people like to, uh, the reason you have Lucas Oil Stadium and the Fieldhouse, which are both publicly run through the CIB, is it helps control costs for the owners of the teams that play in that venue. So Indy wouldn't have any operations costs. I don't think so. I think if they do, it would be real minimal. Um, but basically the city would be tasked with actually running events in that stadium, planning events in that stadium and stuff like that. Um, and along with that, you know, the Pacers and the Colts have contracts that basically bind them to the city and the, the Indy 11 would be put into a similar situation. But, uh, do you think there's any, and we kind of already talked about it, Richard. Do you think there's any likelihood that, um, they're going to tell the city, yeah, we plan on being in, you know, Major League Soccer by 2025. Or it, it, would we really see kind of a, you know, you know, boots in the mud and then really dig in on the fact that this is likely going to be a USL championship team for, you know, the next decade, hypothetically? Well, I think the 12,000 seat statement is significant uh, to answer that question because when you look at the fact that the team and and, and let's be real, right? Did the team come out and say 12,000 seats? No. But considering IBJ's past of breaking team news, I think it's clear they have inside sources. So I think it's fair to assume that this is something that the team internally has discussed and most likely had an idea that IBJ was going to leak out. So the fact that that information is out there, I, I would not be surprised 
given how cold uh, Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, has been towards the Indianapolis bid, for them to say, look, we're going to be in USL Championship, right, by the time we kick off. Now, I would expect their answer to also include plans for expansion of the stadium. So should they get the bid, this is how we would expand it, or this is how long it would take us to increase capacity to 20,000 seats, 18,500 seats, however many the minimum requirement is at the time. So I I think the team will never publicly come out and say right away, we're not going to be an MLS, we are a USL team, this is where we're going to stay. Um, because they've staked too much of the team's image in the idea that we're going to someday make it into Major League Soccer. Uh, and that's been the mantra of the team since I, day one, basically. So I wouldn't expect them to come right out and say it, but in a way, I think they'll, they'll admit the reality of their situation, where they are, um, in, in their answer to it. And we can talk. Uh, for hours, probably about the value of do they even want to pursue MLS? Is it in the team's best interest? Um, but Ursal's made it pretty clear that it's in his interest to make it to Major League Soccer and to be an MLS owner. Well, and I get the vibe when I, you know, see how the team carries itself. And it says in this article that, uh, uh, you know, and in terms, of, or at least from MLS's perspective, Indianapolis as a, a potential expansion site is not active according to their standards. But I do get the idea that, and it's, you know, kudos to them. I do get the idea that Indy 11 at least publicly wants to carry themselves as still pursuing that. Um, because obviously from the naysayers and at least maybe the people that they're talking to in terms of stadium planning, it looks better if they're pursuing this, but then it's also, and it's almost not even to bridge off into a bigger topic, but I think we both kind of hit on it. It's almost the same mentality that Peter Wiltz had when the team was first starting out, which was, I think, I think I heard someone put it as big league carry themselves like a big league on a small league budget or something of that nature. And I think that's a good, that's a good way for the team to carry themselves. I, I think it will be nice though when the stadium gets built that we see at least publicly some kind of face put on there where we see that the team is not living in a fantasy in terms of whether or not they see themselves right. going into major league soccer because it's, it's not a bad idea to carry yourself as a high, you know, class team in the country, but it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's almost like having a family member you, you bury and then you still act like they're alive 10 years later and you're like, no, you know, grandpa's been dead for a while. Like, we probably just need to leave them buried and stop bringing them up because it's just, and that's not even to get off on a rant or anything like that, but it's just almost a little disingenuous to see the amount of times that they go round and round about whether or not the team's pursuing MLS. It's okay to be a USL championship team. I think it's okay for them to pursue that. And I think for the stadium, it's okay to have that perspective. And I think all parties involved need to accept that. 
Yeah, and, and I think they needed to leave NASL. They needed to get out. And I think the team even recognized that a couple of years in, once Tampa Bay left, once Ottawa left, you kind of saw the, t- the league taking a turn and, you know, all the weird stuff that was going on. It was evident they needed to go. And at the time, MLS was the best option, right? If you can get into MLS, and they saw Minnesota do it, if you can get into MLS, then you have that stability. USL Championship is completely different. I mean, it's a it's a whole different animal. There's really no reason why you need Major League Soccer. You know, with the amount of support that they have, the team that they they have with them, you know, the success that they've had in USL, I, I don't see a reason why you would have to go to Major League Soccer. And, and again, this is an episode that we can do uh, later on down the road, but you can go in and spend hours looking at where Major League Soccer is, their business model, how they're succeeding, and and start to feel a little uneasy about maybe the future of what that league looks like. So for the the team, for the city, it's like you said, right? The best thing to do is just realize, look, this is where the team is. You know, the team is playing in the second division, uh, a second division that has a lot of exposure, a lot of followers. It's, it's growing. It's, it's doing good things and, and we need to build for it accordingly. Uh, honestly, and this may or may not be controversial, but I, I wish in a lot of ways that the CIB and the team would finally stop trying to jump through so many hoops and simply make the stadium that was supposed to be multi-use actually multi-use. Make it accommodate soccer. Do what they're going to do in Charlotte. Do what they've done in Atlanta and Seattle and and those places. Make this stadium work. Because for the amount of money that they're going to spend to build the stadium, for the... I mean, we look at Lafayette Square. Can you really tell me that Lafayette Square is a better location than Lucas Oil? I mean, absolutely not. Right? So why wouldn't the CIB and the team... Simply take the time, and I know it's much more complicated than that, and then it's easy to look at them and say, why can't you do this, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, <laughs> why can't you do this? And just just admit, look. You forgot the blah, blah, blah part. Right? We, we, can, we can do all of this stuff, and we can figure out all of these weird places for the stadium to go, and, you know, this place and that place, and, and we can, you know, require this, and the team's going to require it, and we can battle back and forth, or we can finally realize that we have a stadium in a prime location that honestly is not being used most of the time. Why not have a tenant in there that's going to bring extra attention to it, that's going to bring places and make it a good place for soccer to be played? You know, people are going to think... People are going to think that I paid you to say the bit about making Lucas Oil Stadium actually multi-use because I feel like that's all I've ever said about the team playing in Lucas Oil Stadium. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I read that article and while it, it illuminated some aspects, I feel like this is not going to be the last time we have an article or a, a episode like this where... You know, we spend time basically going back and forth about the, yep, the team's in a good spot. Yep, it doesn't need to worry about going to Major League Soccer. Yep, it should just build for what it needs and and what it should get and not, you know, 
putting too much money into something that it, it can't really afford right now. And I think that's just the circumstance of where the business side of the team is at right now is the fact that, you know, at least publicly and stuff that we're able to comment on, um, it's just, you know, a never ending circle that we're going to continue to go back and forth on. Um, so we'll have to see where this ends up. Uh, like I said, I'll grab the article, um, if people want to go read it. Uh, but I, I felt like we, we both felt like we would not be doing ourselves a uh, uh, service if uh, we didn't talk about it. Oh, worst case scenario, just build it inside Circle Center Mall. Or you the know. Indianapolis Motor Speedway, too. I'm sure Penske would be okay with that. Right there, right right in the right in the center grass. You, you could <laughs> easily fit a stadium. Austin bowled it. Oh, yeah. I think it would be beautiful. Um, you know, actually, <laughs> the more I think about it. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> You're going to dig out some paper and start posting pictures online. Um, okay. So let's, let's do our, our goodbyes and get out of here. Richard, where can they find you on the internet? Well, you can find me online at tweet by Richard. Uh, you can find my written work, uh, at BG and written. Uh, and as always, uh, if you like my hot takes, don't like my hot takes, uh, feel like I need put in my place. Leave us a voice message. So uh, look at my Twitter and the show Twitter, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, and if we get some some voice messages, we just ask that you keep the uh, swears to a minimum, uh, so we can post it on the end of the show. And we can actually get you guys involved. So send them up our way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, thank you for remembering that because I wasn't going to remember that. Yeah, we're definitely looking at more avenues that we can obviously um, work with you guys. Um, I'm not sure if by the time this goes out, if our, our new partnership will be announced. Uh, if it isn't, this will be a very confusing tease. But if it is, um, we're extremely excited to be working with uh, X partnership. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, for me, you can find me at Soccer with Brian. Uh, you can uh, also find me at BGN Written. Um, you can find the show's Twitter at No Means Soccer. Um, yeah, we're excited. Um, I'm hoping the preseason dates get announced because I'm I'm gonna try to make it to a preseason uh, game. I've never actually been to a preseason game, but I would love to make it to a preseason game. Um, at some point. Um, now, Brian, if you do make it to a preseason game, I, I have one favor to ask. Yes. Uh, um, can you please, whoever the trialist is, uh, say to them, hey, trialist A, how's it going? That's, that's all that I ask. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I was waiting for the rest of the joke, but then I was like, nope, that's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> Um. Yes, I can. I can do that for you. Um, yes, I, I, I'm going to get sure. you banned from so many venues. <laughs> I'm sure all these, all the trialists would be happy to see me. Um, but it would, it would be nice to, uh, you know, get faces to trialist one, trialist two, when uh, the team actually live tweets some of their preseason games. But uh, yes, uh, as always, thanks for listening. We are excited for the upcoming season um, and, and to put out more content for you. So for Richard, I am Brian. Good night. Good afternoon. I'm going to come up with a good outro one day. It's not today, though. <laughs>